Hello, and welcome to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I'm your host, Siri Vincent Clough, and I'm so glad you're here. This is the show where I explore heathenry through a queer lens. We will be talking about traditional witchcraft, runes, folklore, and so much more. Join us, won't you, as we journey to the ends of the Nine Realms and back. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I am so excited to welcome my good friend Cassandra Snow to the podcast. They are a professional tarot reader, writer, um, and two-time author. Their first book is Queering the Tarot, and this interview is all about the second book that they have just come out with this fall called Queering Your Craft, Witchcraft from the Margins. So in this interview, we talk a lot about queer stuff. Um, We talk a lot about kind of actually being really open with our identities as two non-binary people. Um, And we also just talk about kind of ways of making magic more um, accessible to those who are perhaps living in the margins. Um, Thank you so much for listening, and I'm very excited. So we'll just get straight on into it. All right. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Happy to be here. I love Heathen's Journey, and I love you, so I'm excited. Yeah. So for listeners who are um, tuning in and don't know of our friendship. <laughs> I don't know how to, I was like, good to be. I, don't, well, I was like, why are you laughing at our friendship? <laughs> no, I was um, thinking like, I wanted to say something like for, for those of you who have not been watching our online friendship, <laughs> but like, we're also in real life friends. It's just a pandemic. So like we're, online for anyway okay so for people who don't stand on your balcony that was nice (laughs) yes that was really nice so good to see you even with masks (laughs) yeah right uh uh, and the the last time in a while unfortunately because of how numbers are looking in minnesota but this is not a pandemic podcast i am not actually a uh, pandemic response team member. Um, so we will instead just be talking about your new book. Thank you. Yeah. So um, Queering Your Craft is Witchcraft from the Margins is a new book out from Wiser. Um, this is a follow up. Well, it's independent, but it's your second book after Queering the Tarot. Um, so why don't you just like tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah, I really loved working with Wiser on Queering the Tarot, and I really loved, honestly, just having a book out. It's been a really exciting year, Um, and so I wanted to do a second one, and I had kind of floated a couple ideas to them, and of course, the one they picked up was one that I, like, had not actually started on (laughs) that time, (laughs) so... Um, you know, I threw myself into a frenzy. I gave myself a few weeks to just hit research really hard and then a few weeks to pull my ideas together. And then I had to just write every day for like several hours, which I loved, but my bank did not. Um, yeah, but the book itself, I wanted to write a primer for queer witches and I wanted to write a grimoire and then have some exercises that witches of all levels would use and enjoy. I think this always sounds so silly and I've never heard an author say this, but I think the part I'm most proud of is actually the correspondence sheets, which is what most of my research went into. Mm. Um, Because they're correspondence sheets that you cannot find in another witchcraft book about making space for art, making queer community space um correspondences for like polyamorous love correspondences for chosen family love um you know and so it's a really unique set of lists I was able to put together um so that's kind of what's in there the beginning part that isn't the grimoire that isn't the correspondences is um 
other than empowering queer witches and giving them information they could use for witchcraft. My second thing was I read a lot of witchcraft books. And even now I read a lot of beginner's books to see what might be good for students or followers or whatever. Um, And I feel like so many of them tell you what things are and then you still kind of leave the book not really sure what to do about it. So my secondary goal was like, making sure people knew what to do with the information I was giving them and putting it into spells and ritual and daily practice like right away. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the grimoire is a really huge strength of the book. So I just finished reading it. Um, (laughs) And of course, big fan. Um, (laughs) And I think that a lot of um, beginner books, uh, kind of skip actual spells a yeah. lot of the time. And a lot of the time they'll also, like queer books I found have usually been, or other queer witchcraft books that have been published have been more essay or kind of like queer identity plus magic related. Um, but you really provide a lot of really practical um opportunities for people to get their hands dirty, which I think is fantastic. Thank you. I really tried to, and I love a lot of those books of essays. And then I think the other thing you can find if you're queer and looking for magical stuff is myth. And because my practice is so very Celtic centric, I was like, but I want other people to find their own way. Mm -hmm. I was like, what if I just left myth out of this as much as you can? Right. Um, so like I have the deity section where it's like if you want to work with deities these are some thoughts and ideas I have and these are some deities who are either queer or liberation centric um but it's in no way a comprehensive list I don't think that exists because there are infinite like faiths (laughs) and everything um so yeah I was I really wanted something that was going to read more like a beginner's witchcraft book but then I did want it to be for all levels because I know that queer people have really been wanting a book of their own for a really long time and I know that um people of all levels would be reading it so journal prompts I try to make everyone go further the checklists all of that are kind of for everyone then I don't know about you but even me when I read beginner books (laughs) sometimes I'm like oh yeah, I did stop doing that like six years ago and should probably pick it back up again. (laughs) And so (laughs) there's a lot of that in it too. Yeah. I like to say that witchcraft is always like a constant learning process and like, yeah, it's an iterative process. So like, even though like I teach, you know, like long term classes and stuff like that, like it is still definitely a process in which I am learning. Like I learn from my students all the time because, you know, people have different perspectives and I think that that's really valuable. Um, Yeah. I love all the other queer books, queer magic or queer witchcraft books that are out there um, as well, because I think that everyone kind of has their unique um, twist or take on things and definitely the practical. Thank you. Yeah. And I, It was a difficult book to write in some ways because so much craft practice is really informed by my self-studies in queer theory and queer history um, and everything else. And I didn't want it to be a queer theory book. I wanted, and so like, but it was very hard to, so what I tried to do instead was write a wealth of material that like it was about accepting that knowing your identity, praising your identity could be a liberatory process and like, um, you know, the importance of community, the importance of we're all in this together. Um, And at the same time, as a witch and as someone who has been in therapy for most of my life, um, I didn't... I do feel like a lot of queer witchcraft books, because we are so focused on the collective, a lot of times they do try to skip the personal healing. They do try to skip the personal empowerment, the shadow work. And I didn't want a book that was going to do that. I think if my political point of view is that everyone deserves to thrive and be happy and be abundant, then that includes me. That includes you. And so I wanted people to know how to work with that and it's also like you know you have to put your own oxygen mask on first 
before you can help someone with theirs. So I wanted a book that wouldn't try to sidestep that because there are some really unhealthy things in every community. And that includes queer community and that includes witchcraft community. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Which um, that actually kind of brings me into my first question with you, which is a lot about your story, of course, because we're best friends. Um, But (laughs) uh, for our listeners, how did you get started with witchcraft? Kind of what has your path looked like? Yeah. So um, I was 18 and I was in the closet and I was in the Bible belt and um, I had a really traumatic upbringing, a lot of really difficult stuff, a lot of stuff I'm still processing even now. Um, and then I thought college itself was going to be my big escape. I thought it was going to be the reset button. And then my freshman year was actually like the worst year of my life. And I'm still in recovery from that time period, just like healing and processing that. Um, And so I was very Christian going into college. And so some of my trauma, this is like kind of hard to untangle, but like some of my trauma also sort of led me to a lot of codependence and When a lot of trauma happened to me at college, a lot of my friends from Christian organizations, from Christian groups, weren't there and were even really victim blaming in a lot of ways. And it was like they didn't want to talk about it. If it wasn't God, they didn't want to talk about it. And so, um, and when that happened, it made me feel really empty spiritually. And that was when I started realizing that like a lot of my faith was rooted in other people um, and not necessarily in the faith itself. Um, And so I started looking for other answers. And then my best friend then, the person who is now my queer platonic partner, um, has even more and deeper religious trauma than me. Um, And they started experimenting with Wicca and I was like sure I want answers (laughs) um and so I sort of studied and learned that for a little while um and I identified pretty firmly that way for a couple of years I went to a few you know public rituals coven classes things like that um this was in North Carolina um and then eventually I started running into some of the same issues some of the same binary, some of the same hierarchy. And so I sort of started studying other forms of magic. I started studying ceremonial magic. I started studying um, just like more older faiths, like going back to my own Celtic roots, things like that. Um, And then I, I really, from that point, studied a lot of, you know, I did study a lot of Norse mythology for a while. I did study a lot of, um, You know, I was sort of eclectic Hellenistic pagan for a while. Um, And then that didn't feel right because that's not what my, you know, background is as a human. Um, With one glaring exception, which might end up coming up today. (laughs) But uh, um, so, uh, yeah, today I think it's derived from, and I just said this, I was on Mosca and the Mystic on Tuesday, which is a really fun YouTube live cast. Um, but I said, I think all witches, even if we claim a specific identity, I mostly say I'm a practitioner of Celtica. I, we, we actually practice a sort of an amalgam of everything we pick up and learn along the way and how that sort of works through us and manifests through us. And then it's so funny because I did grow up Christian and in the Bible belt, but like folk magic is also so rampant through <laughs> Appalachia through, you know, and I lived in, I grew up in what's called the foothills of Appalachia, but it was still so rampant there um, that like, it wasn't until the past few years when I started reading about folk magic and was like, wait, I've done this since I was like seven. Like, wait, this was like superstition that this really Christian person taught me that I've always adhered to. <laughs> and yeah. like, and so it's been the yeah. years that I've kind of claimed that as part of it as well. Awesome. Um, and then I know also that a huge part of kind of like coming into 
your own as a witch and growing as a witch has also kind of dovetailed with your um, recognizing and understanding your identity as a queer person. So if you want to speak to that a little bit, that's okay. Or that would be welcome. (laughs) (laughs) What if I was just like, nah, I'm good. (laughs) That would be okay too. If you were just like, nah, I don't want to talk about myself today. Let's just keep it on the book. Like, that's fine. Uh, it's I don't actually feel that, that way, but, um yeah I was very in the closet I actually started playing with divination and playing with um witchcraft before I was out of the closet um I think a lot of people have probably experienced like if it is safe for you to come out if you're in a place where you could come out at least to the people who care about you uh divination and witchcraft are like not gonna play around while you just sit around and wait to come out they're gonna keep smacking you in the face about living your truth and I think what is out there that is divine wants us to be safe but it also recognizes when we are and when we're just being a chicken and so um you know my first experiences with the tarot cards for every card you can get about deceiving yourself just coming up over and over again um and I think if anything like I knew what was going on so I think it really affirmed that this was the right path for me uh it still took me a few years to come out of course I had to fall dramatically in love for me to be like (laughs) this is who I am Um, and then gender stuff took even longer and yet it didn't. One thing that is very strange for me is that I was never really in the closet as non-binary. There just weren't words for that for a long time. Um, for anyone who's listening, who's trying to place my age, I'll just say I'm 35. (laughs) Um, I think (laughs) that negates confusion sometimes, but, um, yeah, I, there weren't really words when I came out as a lesbian. And I think I even feel like lesbian is my gender identity, but I don't feel connected to words that deal with womanhood specifically. Mm-hmm. But then when there were, you know, that language did develop, it was weird. Cause even though I'd never really been in the closet that way, um, it was very jarring to be like, oh, now I have to figure out which of these words makes sense for me. But I will say through that, there was a lot about witchcraft, a lot about folk magic, a lot about um, divination that really did just sort of keep me honest to myself, keep me dealing with stuff, keep me handling my stuff um, that I was really able to, you know, I want everyone to experience even if it's not through a pagan faith, I want everyone to experience like what witchcraft has done for me. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, mm-hmm. if you're not ready to do the work, and I'm very clear in my book in some places about this, like if you're not ready to do the work, experimenting is totally fine. No one should ever shy away from experimenting if seeing if something works for them. But that like deeper lifelong path, I think you just have to deal with your stuff <laughs> or it's not going to work out for you. And I think me being closeted as long as I was, was me not wanting to deal with my stuff and witchcraft at some point was like, we're done with, we're done playing with you about this. (laughs) Um, Yeah, absolutely. I um, do think that there's like a period when you are getting into any kind of new faith path or whatever, where you're like, oh my God, this is so supportive and wonderful and like I'm so happy and all of this stuff. And then eventually like your faith path, like whether that's witchcraft or anything else will come around and be like, okay, but now you have to work. Like we're done with the like happy shadow, happy, like rainbow sunshine. Like now we need to delve into the shadows and you really need to deal with yourself. And I think that that's like, I don't know, just any faith, I believe that any faith that is truly, you know, supportive and the right faith for whoever is adhering to it um, will kind of come around to that deeper healing. Well, and I tend to think of that in the same way that I think of like friendship and like family connections is like, 
if you're really screwing your life up, the people who care about you are going to sit you down and talk to you about it. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be compassionate and they're going to be loving, hopefully, unless you've proven that you really don't respond to that and you just ignore it. Um, And so even when we think of sort of the more love and light terms, like thinking of deities as our friends or thinking of the universe as our friend, like, I don't know. I think we even look at friendship too lightly in society because like your friends aren't going to let you just run your life into the ground. Like, and so similarly, then just doing the work of sitting with yourself, like things are going to come up, things are going to bubble up and it's you and your subconscious and y'all just got to figure it out. I personally believe that you do start feeling pushback on your magic if you're not doing the work that you need to do. And this is where the audio cut out. So now is a great time to take a break and hear from our sponsors. See you in a minute. Welcome to the Swamp Witches. Swamp Witch Stephanie is an online magical herbal apothecary for all your darkest desires. Swamp Witch Stephanie started in 2018 with a line of anointing oils enchanted by the Swamp Queen herself. Stephanie has been studying the Western occult tradition, American folklore, British and American traditional witchcraft, and historical herbalism for over 10 years, and has brought her knowledge and expertise to each of these handcrafted all-natural oils. And this year, Swamp Witch Stephanie has launched a new line of ensorcelled skincare products. And she would know. Being the drag persona of Marcus Ironwood, Stephanie knows the importance of keeping your skin soft as a babe's bottom. Stephanie is ready to share her magic with Heathen's Journey listeners with 20% off your order at swampwitchstephanie.com. Just use the offer code HEATHEN for your discount. Keep it swampy. Okay. Cool. We're back. So, yeah, I was saying that even if you are not, you know, even if you're not someone who works with deities or works with outside spiritual entities, at some point the witchcraft will still just sitting with yourself, staring at that, you know, candle magic flame, sitting in these liminal spaces will still push you to confront the reality of who you are and still push you to try to come through that and be someone more genuine out in the world again. And that's assuming it's safe for you because I perfectly understand when it's not. Right. Absolutely. And I think that like, there's even like an inner coming out to yourself too that happens. Yeah. And that's often way before you're ready to come out to the general public. Yeah. So well, yeah, because you had an interesting experience with that astrologically. Yeah, I did. So um, <laughs> I didn't actually talk about this in the episode where I came out, but um, so my Venus is in Gemini. Venus being, you know, the um, planet of love and um, self-love and relationships and kind of all of that stuff. Beauty. Um, so my Venus is in Gemini, which is the twins, and. Venus retrograded all over my natal Gemini earlier this year. And I came out of it, not a woman anymore. (laughs) Yeah. I came out of it non-binary. And so that was like pretty wild. It was definitely some stuff that I had been thinking about for a really long time. Um, But I hadn't fully given myself permission to just name it. Um, And that is also a huge part of queer experience. It's just like... Do we, are we going to allow ourselves to step into, you know, our true selves? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I like, I don't know. I had it in my my head that when I realized how much I loved women, I came out as bi because I had all the like lesbophobic stories in my head of like, you know, they're not open-minded. They just need to, I don't know. Like there, I just felt like I wasn't being open-minded. Like I was maybe closing myself off to experiences. And then uh, the longer I sat with it, the longer I was like, no, I literally don't care if I ever even 
see a man again, <laughs> let alone <laughs> date one or anything else. Um, and then, like I said, gender stuff was for me, but um, I don't know, because there is language, because there is words now, um, my living in that ambiguous liminal space of like, not really a woman and being open about it, but not using the specific words. It just didn't really work anymore. And so, right. but I still had to sit with myself. I still had to sit in that liminal space for a long time and be like, okay, I am non-binary and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's okay to use that label or to use different pronouns or, you know, whatever is, whatever works the best for you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And even now, like pronouns are not necessarily an issue for me. I will say when this book was first released and a lot of people were she hurting me, I had like big feelings about it. And I felt very like I offer options of pronouns and people do use both. And then that didn't happen publicly. mm -hmm. And so it was very disorienting. But there was a way people talked about me that was actually much more dysphoric when they were using she, her pronouns and when they were using that as permission to talk about me like a woman. Um, And like the issue wasn't ever the pronouns. It was like how people then talked about me in my work. Um, Like really difficult. And so even through the process of this book coming out and being public, I've had to be more firm about they, them in public because it really does alter how people talk about you. Oh my God. Yeah. As somebody who recently came out as well as non-binary, like, yeah, it's a world of a difference, even within queer community. Yeah, it is. Especially I would say for, in my case, but, um, but yeah, definitely. Well, and like in queer community, I never was really in as non-binary and I think, I don't know it, we just had different paths, which is totally understandable, but like, I don't know. It's if you follow me on any social media platforms, especially Twitter, I used to be very, very open on Twitter. I had very bad internet like etiquette or decorum when the internet first started being a thing. And that has changed and shifted over the past couple of years. And I am really open about a lot of things that other people aren't open about. Um, But then I'm really private about other things sometimes, including my personal life with the exception of some of my friendships. Um, And, but that, I don't know, for me, that also so much of my gender is wrapped up in how other people interact with me that that felt really private as well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But then like this book came out and it just was public and it felt like I was getting misgendered in so many places. And I was like, Oh no, I have to not be weird and private about this now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of funny to me because, like, I don't know, um, a huge part of my, like, transition into non-binaryhood was changing my name, which almost in a lot of ways necessitated almost instantaneously because I host a podcast and because I, you know, I'm, like, pretty out there in public. It was like, oh, if I'm going to change this name privately, like, I actually kind of have to do it publicly, which meant coming out as non-binary sooner than I otherwise would have. Right. Not like in a hiding myself kind of way, but just more in a like making that like more of a central part of my online presence. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's super interesting. Like, even though like both of us, like we're in the public eye, but like, also not like it's a funny thing with content creators right or like authors or whatever where like the people who follow you like really follow you but um you know I feel like I'm a Kardashian right like I do have really close relationships with even people that just sorry go ahead oh I just said um it's not like I'm a Kardashian coming out as non-binary you know what I mean (laughs) for sure um it is but people People still need their processes. Um, And like getting back to the book a little bit, I think, you know, I do try to include spells and language and things for sort of like wherever you are. Even if you think you just might be queer, I've got some stuff for that. Even if 
Um, and even when queer people come to me and are like, what can I, you know, this is where I am. Is there anything spiritual? I've written so many of my own spells over the years. And so many from this grimoire came directly from my personal grimoires and book of shadows. Um, I don't know. I feel like those corny ads that were like, there's an app for that. But I feel like that about my spell work. Like, yeah, there's a spell for that. (laughs) Um, But none of those spells are as easy to find as like a spell for money or a spell to bring the right partner to you. And with some of those spells, they are still in the book and I'm not exactly reinventing the wheel. But I think even in that, um, recognizing your own queerness is if you're going into it as a queer love spell, you're going to probably have more success because it's a more like, I guess I'm trying to say it's like a deeper representation of you and what you're looking for. Definitely. So I did actually want to ask you about um, your process of designing the spells for the book and how that felt, Um, you know, because I do know that like a lot of them are your personal spells, but um, how did you kind of think about all of the different areas of kind of queer, you know, life and experience and then think about like what kind of you know, spell work would be necessary. Like, what was that like? Yeah, so I definitely had, excuse me, some help um, in terms of like, you know, I'm not polyamorous. I'm just incredibly polyamory inclusive in my work because I think it's so important and because most of my friends are. Um, And I think, so for things like that and then, um you know, there are levels of kink. I do identify with kink culture, but there are levels that I just don't aspire to if for no other reason than I'm old and lazy at this point. Um, Fair. And so, so for those spells, you know, I kind of talked to some people and I was like, this is what I'm thinking about. And almost all of them were like, yeah, I love it. Can I actually have a copy of that spell? And so um, I felt really good about that. And then... um The ones that do come from my point of view, most, a lot of them, I would say of the grimoire, probably half are spells I've done a hundred times. And then I would say an additional third are probably spells I've done between one and five times. Um, And so it's only that remaining handful that I really sort of did the research and you know, writing the book and knowing everything I wanted to include some of those spells when I was writing them, I was like, wow, wild that I never thought to do this before. (laughs) Um, Right. It felt really good. One thing that I think that I hope people realize when they read the grimoire and when they look at the correspondence list and when they read the rest of the book is that once you know magic pretty well, you can kind of figure out anything you need. It just like for beginner witches, for people who are newer on their path, I just wanted there to be a stopgap. And then I'm old and lazy, like I mentioned earlier. And I don't always want to write a spell, even if I know I can, even if I know what the course, I sometimes just want to pull a book off the shelf and use that spell. Yeah, I know I'm definitely going to look through the grimoire and maybe um, pull some spells for myself to do and maybe customize them a bit. Um, And that's the other thing is that people can, you know, if you pull a, a book off the shelf and there's a great spell there, you can also customize it to suit you better. Well, and I think I probably say 15 times in the book, like, if this doesn't work for you, do something else. There are resources in the back for that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if people take nothing else away from this book, I hope they take away the correspondence list in the back and that they can do whatever they want with those because it's your magic and your life. Exactly. So (laughs) some of your favorite magic to do. Um, that has changed over time. I think so many people, when they learn magic, the first thing they learn is very, um, very Wiccan, but also very like, this is what you see if you do ever see actual witchcraft in the media or anything, which is like, 
calling the coronal corners, making a circle, um, a big candle spell and some other stuff in the circle. Um, and in the beginning, that was so much of what I did. And then now it's very different. I think now, um, I do, I design a lot of sigils. I am in no way an artist, as you know. We've had many disaster events where it was just clear that this was never going to be a thing for me. I mean, I would say that you are an artist, but you're a performing artist. I'm a performing artist and a literary artist. I am in no way a visual artist. Yes. Um, And so... Uh, but that being said, you don't really have to be great at sigils. It's literally just lines and loops and mine don't always look good. My gods don't care. Like it's fine. Um, and so I do write a lot of poetry and a lot of letters as spells. And then, you know, I'm a double Pisces with a cancer rising. So when I don't, when I, I love deep, very involved, very ritualistic spells. I really, truly do. That's what gets me like fired up and excited. And also, it doesn't have to be that every time. And it's exhausting. Like, don't do that every day. What are you doing? Like, that's so exhausting. And so I say that to say I'm a huge fan of roll-on oils, of oils in general, of sprays. Um, just getting them nice and juiced up when you're putting them together <laughs> and then, you know, just spraying. And like, I, th- I think those are so great. Cause from that point on, you can just like state your intention and think about it for a minute and then go on with your day, which is so much more realistic to most of our lives. I will say I have done more deeper realistic re- ritualistic work in the pandemic because I can. <laughs> um, time. And at the same time, depending on what the spell is, if the spell is not about connecting to or invoking, you know, this big energy, if the spell is just about drawing money to me or, you know, healing this one aspect of myself, like a very juiced up spray works just as well. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. I um, think about scale with magic all the time. Yeah you know, is this just like something that I need to do on the daily to kind of reinforce the kind of magical life that I'm living? Is this, you know, an ongoing issue? I think money magic is a really great example of kind of like, unless you have just a really stable job, um, you know, you'll always kind of need to do a little bit of boosting. Yeah. Um, Even if things are good. Um, well, and I would say even if you have a stable job, like seeing some of the things that people in my family who have very stable and lucrative jobs, like unexpected expenses in adulthood add up and snowball so much. And like those people aren't necessarily spiritual in the way that I'm spiritual. But again, in my brain, whenever they tell me about it, I'm very much like, okay, but I have a spell for that. <laughs> like... <laughs> For sure. Um, So actually, this is a great transition because I did want to talk about um, one of the things that I really appreciate in your book, which is the fact that you are so clearly thinking of, you know, people who are starting from kind of nothing. Well, not nothing, but, you know, like starting from a place of maybe poverty or starting from a place of, you know, physical insecurity with magic. I think that especially given, you know, and I mean, I'm a business owner, like I get it. I'm not knocking advertising, but especially in this age of people being on social media all the time, like we consume so much more advertising content than anyone did before us. Oh yeah. And so it's really easy to fall into a trap of thinking that you need like this specific candle or you need, you know, this, you know, perfume that was blessed under the Gemini full moon on a Thursday or something, you know, like it's really easy to kind of fall into that. And, you know, if you can afford it, that's wonderful. I'm not knocking it, you know, but a lot of people and especially queer people don't necessarily have that discretionary spending. So I just wanted to, first of all, just really thank you for, um, you know, making that available. Um, what would you recommend 
people focus on in terms of learning witchcraft when they have limited resources for buying new materials? Yeah, so I think you can go a number of different ways with that. So I'll just list out a couple. Um, I think you can pick one or two things that you want to get really good at and that you can do a whole bunch of different spells with and get some cost-effective things in that way. For example, um, it is so easy to find resources on candle magic. There was even a, throughout throughout, you know, witchcraft history, but there was even like, you know, a more recent one that still has new information and new spell ideas. Um, So I think like, let's say you decide you want to focus on candle magic for a while while you're learning it. Honestly, I think you can get cheap candles. You don't need the really expensive ones. You can go to your grocery store and get them out of the bin. Like there's almost always some tapers or something there um, until you figure out what you're doing. And I think in that case, pay more attention to color correspondences than anything else. When you look at those colors, the reason magical color theory so often is what it is, is because of what it evokes in us psychologically. And so what that's going to do is every time you look at that candle and have that idea of that's what those colors are for, it's going to then sort of send that intention again back out into the universe and so, or wherever you believe it goes. So I think that's a really easy way. I will say candle prices do add up very quick. Um, I honestly think like, herb satchels, things like that. You can get grocery store herbs. If you have been following me or anyone I follow on social media, you know that there's a little bit of a hilarious dust up about that right now where some people didn't like that some witches were promoting using knockoff Italian seasoning and stuff. Um, But it's true. You can. And I think Another way to go, if you are more literary, using any witchcraft books that you have, look at those correspondence lists and then just ask yourself, well, what's the cheapest, most doable way to get those? Um, So I know in my early days, I grew up very poor, um, like mom on social security, disability poor. And uh, I still live right at that line, sometimes under it. Um, in really bad times, when I first started off into adulthood, I would look at this like herb lists and be like, okay, well, I know I can get that from a grocery store for a dollar. So that's what I would do. Um, and then sort of the other thing I would say is you probably already have a bunch of stuff sitting around your home that is magical, can be magically influenced. I really love old school, like what are called wishing spells, which are essentially like you using the phrase, I wish, and like, I wish to bring money to my house. And then just like putting that energy into literally any object and then just sticking it in your bag or bra or pocket if you don't have a bag or a bra (laughs) um, and carrying it with you through the day. Um, And then I would also say, if you are someone who believes in sort of quick karmic repercussions, something I did a lot was like, you can use very few materials like just sugar, flour, butter, and make like some cookies that you put some of that same intention into, but then share them with someone else. And the idea is that in sharing that also comes back to you at a point. Um, And it's okay if that's not in your belief system. It just, if it is, that is something that will work well for you to start. Yeah. I think, um, a lot of witches tend to be kind of magpie-like creatures. So something I'll tell students all the time is like, oh, you know that like one rock that you found on the sidewalk that's like you've been carrying it around from apartment to apartment because you just love it and there's no reason for it? That's your talisman. You know, like that is the thing that you can work with. Well, and I talked about how much I love water magic and you and I are both big fans of the North Shore and of Duluth here in Minnesota. Every time I go up, I will ask the lake for permission for one really pretty stone on those like stony beaches and bring it back. And most of them sit on an altar or they sit like where my other stones sit Um, and I pull them out for specific purpose. 
but even stuff like that, things that are really special to you. If you, you know, I'm a big fan of love spells that keep you and your partners or friends just sort of united, you know, indefinitely. Um, if there's a park you all like to go to asking the park, if it's okay, if you take a stone or some dirt and like, you know, enchanting that, uh, a mantra, if people like want some hardcore examples, I will say a mantra I use all the time for my queer platonic partner. And I, whenever I pick up like a flower or a stone, wherever we are, when I enchant it, I'll say, may our love be forever strong and may it last forever long. Mm. Um, and so that, that's an example. You just say something like that, put that intention into it and then put it on an altar or carry it around with you. Um, and that is every bit as magical as some of the like really expensive spells you'll see in other things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that with DIY magic and with a lot of this stuff, I know that a lot of specifically traditional witches, um, and I'm sure that there's this similar feeling within like the Wiccan community or other communities, but a lot of traditional witches, um, like Keldon, uh, who was on the podcast earlier this year, we'll talk about just like, doesn't need to be a crystal that you spent 30 bucks on. It can be like, a, just like a nice rock that happens to sort of look like a heart or yeah. like, you know, it can just be something. Um, I actually often find feathers when I'm out walking. Um, and because I, I work so often with Odin, um, if they're kind of corvid feathers, I almost always feel like they're like a, a little, hello, yes, you know, it's okay. Like you can take this. Um, well, yeah. And my queer platonic partner um, works a lot with the Morrigan. And whenever we see just like a really beautiful black feather that is in good shape, I'm like, oh, hi, she has feelings today. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, um, all of that is really essential. And, you know, something that I tell my students all the time is like, it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be fancy. It just has to work. Well, and I will say too, another thing I'm huge on is like kitchen magic, but specifically food magic. Even if you don't cook, even if you're living on Taco Bell, every single ingredient and in that burrito has some sort of magical correspondence associated with it. And you can literally like, do a Google search and be like, may this taco bring me this, this, and this. And that is still a spell as long as you're sort of keeping that intention as you take it in. Um, and that's a very affordable way to do that. And certainly if you cook it all, not only do your seasonings, um, and, you know, that's every seasoning, like salt is super protective and banishing. And most of the Italian seasonings work well for money or love, if not both and so on and so forth. Um, but literally like the flower has magical intention and certain correspondences and like whatever protein you're using does every, I have not had a fruit or vegetable this year that I don't think had a magical correspondence I could look up. I think we're kind of winding down on the interview. Um, is there other, um, anything else that you want to impart or let people know? Um, if you have anything else coming up that people should be looking forward to. So I'm still deciding on classes for next year. And I'm also still putting together a manuscript of a workbook for query um, for agents uh, so everything in terms of those things is kind of tentative or is very tentative. Um, but I would say follow me on social media. Follow me on Instagram is where I'm most active. And that's Tarot Cassandra. It is my personal page as well. But like I said, I've kind of tightened up what that means. And in the pandemic, it's not like you're going to see tons of pictures of my friends. So <laughs> um, <laughs> It is at this point mostly tarot and witchcraft and you'll occasionally see pictures of coffee and my cats because that's like my life right now. Right. Uh, so tarot Cassandra and then I would say with all that tarot and witchcraft content that I do for free, if you're able to support even at $3 a month on patreon.com slash Cassandra Snow, that's a huge help to me. And then two quick things. Nope, just one um, that I... If you get on either my Patreon or my Instagram, 
what you'll see very quickly is that I only am doing 15 end of year readings and a couple of them are swiped up already. And these are like thick and dense. Um, but yeah, grab one of those. Email me to get started. Snow.Cassandra at gmail.com. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I think that's all. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thank I you. Know that, um, I know that it's always an absolute delight to talk to you. And I hope that um, the listeners uh, can hear the mutual affection that these two friends. Yes. <laughs> yes, I hope so too. All right. And we, I will say we were more constrained than we usually are. Siri and I together are usually like unmanageable, especially when we haven't seen each other's faces in a while. And like, even though we're just on Zoom right now. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> it's so we were so excited when we got on. I know. I feel like um, we really tightened up our conversation today <laughs> in a way that we don't normally. <laughs> But <laughs> so if you follow both of us on social media, you'll, 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 you'll get the vibe. You'll know. There are shenanigans. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but we'll in, in the spirit of uh, professional boundaries, I think today we <laughs> tightened up a little. Um, we did. Well, I, I have so enjoyed talking to you. And of course, um, we'll likely have you on the podcast again later as other projects come up. Yay. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And that is it for today's episode of the Heathen's Journey podcast. A huge thank you and shout out to all of my students and patrons for making this work available. If you want to become a patron and support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash northernlightswitch. I post full moon and new moon ritual guides, rune readings for each of the turning of the zodiac season, and so much more. If you would like to follow me in between episodes, you can find me on Instagram at northern.lights.witch or on Twitter at northlightwitch. Until next time, stay weird. Thank you.